Just look at this studio filled with fabulous prizes. Ooh. All waiting to be won on Score North's... Pick your prize! Behind door number one is a $10,000 gift card to Chanhassen Dinner Theaters for shows, concerts, food, and beverage. Ooh. Door number two has $10,000 in home improvements for your kitchen, bathroom, windows, and more from Minnesota Rusco and Companies. Ah. And behind door number three, LASIK eye procedure from Dr. Lovanoff at Ovo LASIK and Lens. And a fantastic vacation. No surprise zoinks. What you want, you pick. 14 prizes in all, each valued at $10,000. Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners. Phil Mackey. He's got the body language of a whiner. Judd Zolgad. Every time he opens his mouth, it's a garbage dumpster of crap coming out of it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Pocket passes out to the corner to Towns for three. Got another one. Carl Anthony Towns with 18 points and Minnesota back up 18. Actually, all three games on this road trip, the first quarter we played great defense. Now, we haven't played for 48 minutes. And that's still still something that we have to work on, and we have to continue to try to improve in that area. But uh, overall, I thought our defense was pretty good. Tom Thibodeau, that was Tom Thibodeau, third member of the FSN broadcast last night, just bellowing from the he sidelines. Was, he was in full voice For again last night, man. Two Ooh. and a half hours. Timberwolves eight and five after beating the Jazz, which ties them for third right now in the Western Conference along with the San Antonio Spurs behind the Rockets and the Warriors. Brian Windhorst, you can find him ESPN, ESPN.com, NBA Insider. And it's been like a decade and a half in the Twin Cities, Brian, since we've immersed ourselves in relevant NBA basketball. So we might need some help navigating the waters here, the ups and downs of a new collection of talent, and how long it might take to fully gel. So we'd take any advice you have here in the Twin Cities. <laughs> well, um, you know... On one hand, I feel like the Wolves' record could be better. But on the other hand, to be in first place in the division in mid-November is meaningful. <laughs> I mean, you don't, we don't get anything for it. Um, but, you know, they are, you know, last night's game was a good example. The Wolves are materially better than the Jazz. And so, especially with Gobert out, and so they should pound the Jazz. And they went in there and they kicked their butt from the first quarter onward and handled themselves and had a routine victory. That's something you expect from a good team, but it's not something that you could count on from this Wolves team. So even though they've got veterans now that have done this, um, everything that they're doing is kind of new. And that I kind of thought this is how last season would be. I expected last season to be the year that they sort of had the honeymoon where they crawled into the playoffs and there was really no worries about, you know, exactly what they did once they got there. But the truth is because of their ineptitude for the last, you know, 12 or 13 years, whatever it is, they do enjoy a bit of a pass um, because just making the playoffs this year will be deemed a success. And they should, and the fans should enjoy this time because, in the future, you know, in the in, in the two to three year range here, especially next season, when it's when it's the last year on Butler's deal, there's going to be a little bit more pressure and a little bit more um, focus on um, achieving certain goals. So, um, you know, this year in a lot of ways is is a honeymoon season. So I hope they're enjoying it. And they're not, and that's the the problem, Brian. Talk to us. Talk to us about uh, realistic patience. Okay. 
because because the wolves melted down uh, against the suns, and fans here went absolutely nuts. And when and and when they've they've melted down three times, fans default to Tibbs' system's not working. His defense is archaic. It's outdated. He should be fired. People go crazy. Talk to us or give us the realistic NBA um, lecture and or speech on necessary patience, though, because this team well, has a second year coach with this with this club. Butler is new, and I feel like everybody expects them to be at point uh, D right now when they're still probably at point A. Well, I watched the fourth quarter of the uh, of the Suns game, um, and it was pretty disappointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I love listening to Dave and Jim. They're, they're two of the best um, broadcasters in the league. Um, and Jim was Jim was pretty pointed in some of the things that he saw in, in that, and so I appreciated that. Um, yeah, if you, you know, okay, so realistically, the Wolves should be chasing a top-four seed. And to do, the reason you want a top-four seed is if you get home court in the first round, you know, historically you have a materially good advantage of advancing. And to me, that's kind of what I expect out of the Wolves this year, to you know, have themselves a chance to advance in the playoffs. Um, and to get a top-four seed, um, which probably means you know, winning your division, um, you've got to win games like that in Phoenix. And one of the reasons why this team – is only eight and five when they probably should be a little better, even though I know that, you know, when Butler was out, they, they had a couple of stinkers and that's going to happen. Um, you have to be able to get stops in the fourth quarter. And that's the one thing about this team. And, and whether you want to blame it on Tibbs system or not, I don't necessarily know if I agree with that. Um, I do think, you know, one of the things that Tibbs does is he denies the corner three pointer. He was one of the guys who was, as first in the league at denying the corner three-pointer. And I would say that that is a very good part, a very good defense for this current uh, era in the NBA. But they've got to play better defense night in and night out so that they don't have fourth quarters where they can't get a stop to save their behind, which is what happened in the game in Phoenix. And so if they're going to be a realistic contender for anything, forget about the West. I'm just saying a contender to be a top four seed, a contender to have a playoff run of any sort, they got to play better defense. Their defensive ratings and defensive numbers are kind of unacceptable. Um, But they're doing a lot of positives. And um, I don't think at this point, as you said, in their arc as a, of a, as, you know, a, for these group of players, I don't think um, they should be being heavily criticized. I think in general, they're taking care of their business, and I expect their defense to improve. Now, if we're talking on January 15th, and we're still talking about the 27th or 28th defense, whatever their rating is right now, we're going to have a different conversation. Um, but, uh, you know, they are – doing just fine. I, I feel like they could very easily have 10 wins now instead of eight, but I, I don't think, um, I think in general they're, they're performing pretty well. Brian, uh, Brian Windhorst is, is our guest here, Mackie and Judd, ESPN and uh, ESPN.com. Do you think Tom Thibodeau, once he pulled the trigger on that Jimmy Butler trade and had some free agent money to spend, he had it set that he was going to trade Ricky Rubio, and so he winds up using the free agent money to bring in Jeff Teague, and also Taj Gibson. And, you know, Jamal Crawford came in, too, and, and he's been a huge spark off the bench. And, like, the guy still looks like he's 22 years old, which is incredible considering he's been in the league for 16 years. Do you think Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden spent their free agent money in the way that is the most productive? Or do you think 
a J.J. Redick or that's been one of the complaints around here that this is a really streaky and uh, sometimes just downright bad three-point shooting team. It feels a little old school. Would a J.J. Redick have made sense? Would he have even come to the Timberwolves on like a two- or a three-year deal? Or do you think they spent the money well in the offseason? Well, that, you know, the, so here's the thing. With Teague, they overpaid for the market for point guards. What we ended up seeing this summer was the market for point guards was not very robust. And that was because there were a couple of trades that were made. You know, Brooklyn, for example, traded for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, the Jazz, uh, you know, got Rubio. And then there was a bunch of teams that ended up drafting point guards that they liked. And so, like, you had a guy like Kyle Lowry um, who felt like he was going to have, you know, a, a quite a few, like, big offers. He ended up only having one offer. And so this did – did they maybe misjudge the market a little bit going out, you know, really before July 1st, they had Teague wrapped up before July 1st in all honesty. Yes. I could say in a vacuum that they probably overpaid the market, but here's the problem. And here's where, you know, the vacuum has to be combined with reality. Reality is you're talking about a cold weather city with a coach who not everybody loves. A lot of people like him, but not everybody loves for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in over a decade. You know, in a in a market that is, you know, depending on who you ask, not so desirable. So, you know, I would argue that the Wolves should never really count on free agency because they're always going to have to overpay. And so to land a free agent with their current situation. Now, if they go to the conference finals two years in a row and Carl Anthony Towns is a first-team All-NBA player and Andrew Wiggins is a – is a you know routine all star in if that's the case in three years and they have cap space again maybe we're talking about a different story but in the free agent situation that existed in front of those guys in the summer of 2017 they were probably going to have to overpay so I can tell you that most people don't think that the T contract is a good contract but I also have to evaluate what the real circumstances were that were facing uh, Tom and Scott when they were going into battle on July 1st. And so they were just going to have to overpay. Now, with Redick, you know, they had kind of spent the money. They, they weren't really able to compete really with Philly's offer. Redick has really rolled the dice in the, in, the, in the contract that he took because I think there's a decent chance Philly is going to go chase a major free agent this summer like a Paul George, and Redick may end up on the sidelines having to take a pay cut. But – you know, Redick ended up taking a contract that was not con- really not what the Wolves could have offered. If I were him, I would have been compelled by by my fit with the Wolves. But I also understand why he was interested in Philly. He lives on the East Coast now. Their future is pretty bright, and he had an opportunity to make a historic paycheck. So, um, yeah, it would have been interesting if they had more money to play with. Um, but we'll just—that's one of those things where we'll just never know. Where uh, in, in your your mind is Towns at defensively, and and as you you watch him play, how much improvement can can there be in that part of his game? Do you think, Brian? Well, he has two things that that are that the talent that can make him an elite defensive player. One is he has incredible feet. Uh, he has feet that seven footers don't have. He has some of the best feet on the seven-footer you'll ever see. And because of that, he's able to move around the perimeter and do some things defensively that many people in his position cannot. Secondly, he has got innate ability to defend the rim when he's in position to do so. He has the, the tools to be a great defender. Will he do it? You know, I mean, he doesn't. 
the, the, right now, he is not as good as I would expect him to be with his tools. That said, he's still relatively young, and typically you don't see guys become good defenders until they get to their fourth, fifth, sixth year in the league. That's Even though he's still ahead of the game and everywhere else, you just don't see it. You look at the breadth of the NBA, and it's just not there. It's not there with Wiggins either. I mean, Wiggins, it drives me crazy that Wiggins doesn't get his hands on more passes. It drives me crazy he doesn't rebound better. Uh, I would say the same thing. He has the tools to be an elite defensive player. Will he? I don't know. I mean, some people question whether he has the drive. Um, I don't question whether he has the talent. So I wish I could look forward two years into the future, and we could be si- we could be sitting here having the conversation. Oh my God, it's amazing how Wiggins and Towns have come together. This is what we always do. They had the potential to be. This is why the Wolves are championship contenders. And we could be having the exact opposite conversation. We just don't know. I, I would like to see more steps in that direction, I would agree with that for sure. Uh, last thing real quick, I, you've covered LeBron James for a long time. I, I'm running out of superla- uh, superlatives. He's 15 years in the league, 33 years old. He leads the NBA in average minutes per game. He's still putting up 28, 9, and 7.5 and rebounds and shooting 59% from the field and coming back from down 23 on the road last night. It's ridiculous. So last night he was playing defensive center on Chris Epsporzingis at one end, and at the other end he was playing point guard. I think he had eight assists in the fourth quarter. God, um, that's the kind of stuff that's like, like no matter how you want to, you know, when people want to compare him to Jordan and Kobe, you start counting up the championships, and and like if you go that direction, you know. The numbers are the numbers, and if that's the way you want to judge it, then that's the way you're going to judge it. But if you watch a game like last night, how many people in the history of the game can play defensive center on a seven foot three guy and shut him down, and then also completely author uh, a comeback from point guard? Now, for the Cavs long term, um, the fact that he's leading the NBA in minutes is absolutely unsustainable and ridiculous. Uh, Unfortunately, he decides his minutes. He comes in and out when he wants to. So I can't really, you know, the blame is on him, and he knows what his body can do. Um, And as, you know, their number, their first two point guards are hurt right now. Uh, Derek Rose and, uh, and, and and Isaiah Thomas are hurt. So now he's playing point guard. He's averaging five turnovers a game. That's not helping them either. Um, but long term, when you've got a guy like that who can still dominate at both ends, you have a chance in any game. And, and I think that's what he's showing. And his performance last night in a, in a singular uh, moment, regardless of what it means for the long term of the season, was just tremendous. And it's those type of things that when, you know, Eric Spolster's nickname for him was one through five. He called him that because he honestly felt he could play any position offensively and defensively. And we're talking about maybe one or two or three guys in the history of the game that could do that. And that's what LeBron's legacy should be, even though that may not be what ends up being. Yeah, super fun to watch. Hey, great insight as always, and we'll catch up soon, Brian. Thank you. Take care, guys. Have a good week. All right, that's Brian Windhorst from ESPN and ESPN.com, bringing a ton of Wolves insight there. Selling hope on Cats defense. That's good. Yeah, and that's a good point, too. Sometimes... You know, my God, like there, look, some of the guys that you're going to be guarding, and but where I where I get a little bit annoyed is when it's not like a physical thing for him. He's big enough to play defense, and he's athletic enough. It's he gets spaced out, and he just gets lost, and that's annoying. Uh, let's so uh, we got Wetmore coming in the second half of this hour in about 15 minutes to go over some Twins rumors. Let's get back to the Vikings. I want to play devil's advocate and get your thoughts on 
this whole notion that you have to ride the hot hand. I want to poke some holes in that. Mackie and Judd. Let's get back. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. Iconic Marvel superheroes and supervillains from different eras and realities converge in a cosmic battle across the Marvel Universe in Lego Marvel Superheroes 2. This all-new epic adventure is packed with signature Lego humor and introduces new features and an incredibly large open world for players to roam and explore. Lego Marvel Superheroes 2, available now on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and PC. And head to the 1500 ESPN stream player right now for details on how you can you uh, on how you can win your very own PS4 copy. You know he's a he's a very uh, excitable guy, and uh, you know he sometimes you know he gets off the reservation a little bit. He just has to. You know, I talked to him a little bit this morning about you know understanding the situation of the game and where we're at, and sometimes a throwaway is a good good a good thing. Mike Zimmer talking about uh, Case Keenum. That's the that quote right there. Just tells you volumes of, about how how the coach feels about the quarterback. Though. Yeah, and I think the response really does. to to that from a lot of fans. We've we've been kicking this around for several weeks, and even more so this week because it's it's an exciting team. It's a Super Bowl ish caliber team, and there's a really hot topic within it. Who's going to start a quarterback? And Mike Zimmer kind of keeps that that door open for Teddy to come back. And the common response back is. You can't go away from the hot hand. Case Keenum's the hot hand. You got to ride the hot hand, and you'd be foolish to not ride the hot hand, right? I want to play devil's advocate to that, and I think you're going to agree with me on this because you and I both agree that Teddy Bridgewater is the better long-term quarterback option. Mm -hmm. Why can't you go away from the hot hand? If there's evidence historically and maybe even some apples-to-apples examples in other sports and other walks of life that – Going away from the hot hand, if you know that it's probably not going to stay hot, is the best move. In fact, I'll point to, and this is a little apples to oranges, but you'll get my point. The Golden State Warriors won 51 games four years ago, and they fired their coach after the season, Mark Jackson. Remember that? Mm -hmm. They fired Mark Jackson after a 47-win season and a 51-win season Mm -hmm. for a coach with zero NBA head coaching experience, Steve Kerr. What are they thinking? Why would they fire the head coach of an on-the-rise team? This team is ready to pop. They just won 50. Yeah, they got bounced in the playoffs, but Steve Kerr's never coached before. Like, what are they thinking? Oh, they just went on to win two championships, broke the regular season NBA wins record because they knew that they had reached the ceiling of what they could do with Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson took them where they needed to go and did what he had to do. They needed something better to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. That's how I see the Vikings. Case Keenum is playing out of his mind relative to the five years of track record he has before entering, you know, this Vikings Ferrari of defense and Pat Shermer and Thielen and Diggs and offensive line. So if if you're up, here's another one. Like if if you're up five hundred dollars at a five dollar blackjack table, would you ride the hot hand knowing that regression is on the horizon until you're down to two hundred dollars? So you're going to ride the hot hand until what? Until you're broke? Yeah. Until you're down to $150? Or would you cash out? The best stock traders, they don't wait until markets tank before they reallocate their funds, right? Like to just stick to ride the hot hand blindly without any context or any forecasting to me 
is insane. Now, so you should apply that same now, thought to Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater. When it comes to the quarterback position, though, and and especially when it comes to Viking fans, I get the fear here. Because ordinarily, the perception of a quarterback change, rightfully so, especially in this town, is perceived as being negative. You're going from, oh my gosh, Tavares isn't playing well. We got Kelly Holcomb. Let's just start him. That's not not working. We went out and got Farrat. Let's start him. Okay, he's gone now. Let's start Josh Freeman, who we just signed. That's the perception of a quarterback change in this town and has been for quite some time. QB switches are usually made because of incompetent quarterback play and because your team is bad. That's what that's our that's what we've learned. That's our starting point. So this discussion, people go to their default in their head of, well, why would you possibly replace a quarterback playing well in this town? We don't have quarterbacks who play well and now we do and you're going to replace him. Just for one second, let's all stop. And let's all understand that this discussion is about a good team with a potentially as I said, and this I can't say this enough, great defense. A defense that that you only have a window where it's going to be like this, but right now it's potentially great. And what you're talking about is you're not talking about incompetent quarterback play. You're talking about, and this is very difficult, potential deep playoff run, maybe a Super Bowl. But our starting point, and I've covered it, and I and I know what people's fear is, is but all the time in the past when they've changed quarterbacks, it's been it's been because the quarterback isn't that good and realistically the team's not that good this is special circumstances this is special circumstances that we need to stop and understand why a team would consider making this move yeah it's not and let, let's say you you go to Bridgewater against the Lions on Thanksgiving and it's like whoa two years of rust this is not good uh, maybe you try him out again after that you're always going to be able to go back to old reliable Case Keenum but I wouldn't be so sure that he's always going to be old, reliable Case Keenum. He's throwing a lot more interceptable passes than the numbers are showing. You know, Kyler brought up the Josh Norman dropped interception in the first half against Washington. That was a dropped interception by one of the best cornerbacks in the league. If he picks that off, the game might be different. Mm-hmm. He throws a lot of risky, interceptable passes. Now, also, you get that Brett Favre diet, Brett Favre or Brett Favre light, that rush when he throws a deep ball to Diggs or Thielen, but... Again, like if you're just blindly saying, stick with the hot hand, ride the hot stock, keep putting money on the blackjack table, like it, without any context or any any look ahead on the horizon of eh, this, this might play, not be sustainable. Play the Zimmer quote again that, that you played at the outset of the segment. You know, he's a he's a very uh, excitable guy, and uh, you know he sometimes. You know, he gets off the reservation a little bit. He just has to, you know, I talked to him a little bit this morning about, you know, understanding the situation of the game and where we're at, and sometimes a throwaway is a good good, a good thing. Case Keenum is 29 years old. He is in, I believe, his fifth year. If you have to go through that, if you have to think as a coach, okay, we're in playoff game one, and there's a fighting chance he's going to panic and do all the things that, that Zim just talked about there, you got a problem. You get, The quarterback is the one position, it's the most important position in all of sports, and it's the one position where with a 29-year-old, if you have to sit him down and say, calm down, you can't trust him when you get in the heat of a game. Matt chimes in on Twitter to play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate. <laughs> I think any coach could win with Curry, Clay, and Green. Okay, you, you did you did you not just... They, they went from... 
early playoff exits and 50 wins with the same team to breaking records and becoming a dynasty with a new coach. Because they didn't just ride the hot hand, the hot coach that wouldn't have taken them to those heights. Mike, you're on the show. Hey, guys. I think one of your a flaw in, in your thinking is you're, you're thinking you're going to replace Keenum with Johnny Unitas. And if you look at the history, you know, the guy – We've got the best receiving core we've had in ages, and if we put Teddy back in there, they're going to have to shorten their routes because he cannot throw more than, let's say, 15 yards. We've got tape on that. We've got years, you know, his background, he floats the ball when it goes deep. So all these these great catches that we're seeing would come down, not go up under Teddy, and everybody keeps trying to forget that, that his quarterback rating is lower than Case Keenum's in his background. So I don't think you you can replace him just because you think he's going to sometime in the future be this great quarterback. He's already got a track record, and when we know what he is. And, yes, he has a nice smile, and everybody loves the story, but he's got a lower quarterback rating than Keenan, and we know he can't throw the deep ball. It's been proven. So I don't think it's an easy switch like you guys are thinking. So Hold on, Mike. Comment. Real quick, Mike. Thanks. Real quick, Mike. Uh, Case Keenum. And he just hung up. That's it for Mike. Because Mike is not with it. Mike's apparently. out like that last call. Uh, Case Keenum before this season yep. has a passer rating, career passer rating. Actually, even including this season, has a career passer rating of 82 Teddy Bridgewater in two years with a terrible pass-blocking offensive line, no Adam Thielen, and Adrian Peterson hogging 360 of the plays has an 87 passer rating. So get your facts straight before you call the sports talk station, Case, um, for God's sakes. Case Keenum and Thielen hooked up, I believe, I think it was a 47-yard reception on Sunday. That was a really nice play. Go back and watch that throw. It's lofted high in the air. It's Randall Cunningham-like. That's not bad, but if we're going to sit here and say that that was a dart, that that was a Warren Moon dart, it wasn't. That's not to put Keenum down. It's to say that I'm pretty confident that if Bridgewater is playing well, he can complete the same exact pass. Uh, Receivers are breaking wide open. Play design, Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer deserves a ton of credit. More than Case Keenum, in my opinion. Deserves a head coaching job. Uh, Twins, rumors, and hot stove, and all kinds of things next with Wetmore. Mackie and Judd now continue. We return on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd just fighting with people about the quarterback situation. Hey, it's fun, though. This Seven has been and the two. best week. This has been such a fun week. Overall, like this is a, a fun, good conundrum yes. to, to be faced with. But uh, that's it. we're kind of in a... A sports abyss, right? Not abyss. No, what's, not, no, not abyss. Uh, what's the opposite windfall. of abyss? A windfall. It's a sports win. It's, a cri- windfall. it's Christmas come early. You got go for basketball wolves. You got Vikings relevant. You know, your wild still play hockey. And uh, the Twins. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Off-season rumors. Derek Wetmore is in here from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch Em All Twins podcast. Uh, Judd, off the air, you gave us a little nugget, a report. Let's throw this out and let uh, let Derek react, and let's kick this stuff around. This is rumor season, baby. Yes, this comes from a baseball notebook authored by Joel Sherman of the New York Post uh, that says, uh, Barrios, Gibson, and Santana are the only starters uh, for the Twins assured of jobs next year, and Levine corroborated what John Heyman of Fan Rag first reported. 
that the team is open-minded about even the top of the starting market. He did not mention names, Derek, but that includes, of course, Hugh Darvish, Arietta, and Alex Cobb. Quote, our conversations with uh, Jim Polat and the Polat family is they, they expect us to let them know the expected cost for free agents and not in one specific tier, Thad Levine told the Post. We are going to be surveying the entire free agent market. Great. That is the latest. Good for them. They should be. I think that the Twins need to be at least considering the thought that you're going to spend big money on a starting pitcher this winter. I don't think necessarily you go for that top of the market. I think you Darvish is going to be awfully expensive. Um, but I said in the past, Phil, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago, even still during the postseason run, that the Twins should be in on guys like Wade Davis this offseason. And if you're in on guys like that, you should also be at least monitoring the price tag of the starting market because you'd kind of mention there in that Joel Sherman piece, he talks about Boreos and Santana and Gibson. Each one of those guys comes with their own question marks, but I think you could count on those guys to be 60% of the rotation. After that, then what? It's it's question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark Is for the Phil Twins. Is Phil Hughes like still a, a thing? That, Huge question he's mark. Under, he's under contract. Of course he's under contract. He's got through 2019, which I think is going to become a problem for the what, Twins. What do they do? They view him as a starter. Do we even know? Well, so just to pull back Couldn't a little bit. Could he be a reliever? I mean, he was in New York a number of years ago. Yeah, but he's a different pitcher now. I think the Phil Hughes thing is going to get weird because you've got to figure out if the stuff comes back. And I think we'll figure that out as early as maybe March, April, right? Spring training. You got to hope that it does if you're the Twins because if the stuff isn't there so he can't be a starter, why would you put him in the bullpen? He'd just sort of be an extra arm. Like it... Yeah. At that point, he's not one of your 12 best pitchers. Is, well, is there insurance on a contract like that where if he's just done, he's done? Well, I, I mean, there's insurance on contracts. I don't yeah. know if they have insurance on I don't on know specifically contract. on that one. I'd it's too to bad that Phil Hughes forced the Twins against their will to extend him one year into a three-year reasonable contract. I don't blame uh, the guy. I don't blame you know the what guy I like? for that. I like the fact that, true or not, the Twins yeah. now, now have uh, baseball executives who come out and instead of saying, well, you know how we do business, right? And we're, we're waiting for two months, and, we and we'll all, see who falls we, into our price range. And we all knew it was going to be boring. I like the fact that, telling the truth or yeah. not, you start the 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 process thinking well, they might do something. And here's the thing. I think they might be telling the truth. Here's sure. why. They look at a depth of starting pitching. I know this for a fact that Derek Falvey glances at the 40-man roster and the depth beyond that in the organization and doesn't look like we do. I, I tend to do this, Judd, Phil, you and I have talked about this in the past. Five starters, seven relievers, and your starting position player. All the, Derek Falvey's probably looking at like 50 pitchers and like, okay, in order, who are our 50 best pitchers? Now, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I promise they're not looking at just five names and saying, yeah, that's probably our starting rotation. I, I would venture to guess they're looking at as many as 9, 10, 11, 12 and starting to fill out the depth behind that is important. But maybe more important as you come to that cusp of contention as the Twins did last year, the top end of that depth. And and that, for me, is still questionable. That's why I think you could reasonably see them spending money. Like I said, I don't know if it's the 25 or $30 million to get a U Darvish, but is Alex Cobb out of reach? Is Lance Lynn? No, those I, guys. Lance Lynn, uh, MLB Trade Rumors has Lance Lynn at like four years, $48 million or something. That's He's reason. a very good starting pitcher. And then I'd go even further. I had my list of uh, the five thoughts, five starting pitchers that I was targeting. It's those four guys that I think are kind of consensus top available on the free agent market. After that, interesting name, CC Sabathia was my number five. <laughs> It's a one-year, two-year deal. He's proven to be effective despite diminished stuff the past couple of seasons. 
I'm curious to see where the Twins go, but I think I'd be more surprised if they didn't spend money on starting pitching than if they did this winter. Sabathia would be so. If, I thought you might like that one. Yeah, I was going to say that intrigues me in a weird way. So, if you do that though, where where does he slot in? Because I mean, clearly, if you get a yeah. a Lance Lynn or a Cobb, you're thinking top end guy. I mean, is Sabathia just sort of a, He's a nice three or four. filler type of guy? Yeah, I mean, I don't get hung that up intrig- on that. Intrigues me, but in sort of a funny way. I think we. St- we tend to go into the winter and think like, okay, who's their one? Who's their two? Sure, who's... That's not the way I think about it. Get eight starters who you could reasonably trust to go through the season. I mean, if one of those is Steven Gonsalves, fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you go in and say like, well, Gonsalves had a good year last year, and he's going to take a step forward, so he's your three. And uh, Barreos is your two. And sit. I, I don't look at it in terms of numbers. Just load the deck with starting pitching. Somebody's going to get hurt in spring training. Somebody's going to get hurt in May. Somebody's going to underperform your expectations, and someone's going to overperform. Those four things are going to happen in the next 12 months. Just be ready for that contingency. Be ready, uh, whether it's adding uh, an arm on the free agent market, whether it's developing a guy who's already in your system, trading for somebody who's under team control. I think that the Twins are going to approach not only the top end, but also sort of their pitching staff depth this winter. Uh, let's go just a quick yay or nay and uh, like a sentence or two thought on the MLB trade rumors financial projections. If you were the Twins and this is the player and this is the the number in terms of years sure. and money, just we'll go around the room with some okay. of these just for fun, okay? So you're Derek Falvey and Thad Levine and you uh, Darvish is the target. And it's $160 million over six years. $160 million over six years. Yes or no, and and your thoughts? Nay, because I, I don't think you're ready to win a World Series next year. I think Darvish is going to get too much heat for his poor World Series performance, but that's still, that's a lot of money. Too rich for my Well, blood. if you're ready to win a World Series, you probably don't want to sign Darvish because he'll derail that for you once you get there. In <laughs> the World Series. Uh, <laughs> See, case in point. I said he would get too much heat for it. He just did. No, because the term is too much. I'm not going to take on six years. Six years is a long time. Not not right now, no. And, and it's just to be clear, and then you can go on to your next year or nay. You're signing that guy hoping that he gives you two or three good years yes. on a six-year contract, knowing that you're flushing the back-end money down the toilet. Yeah, I'm going to say no for the same reasons you guys are. I don't I don't mind spending 20 or $30 million per year on the right player, but six years for a pitcher who's kind of regressed the last couple of years, even in the regular season, he's not the same guy he was three years ago. I'm going to say no on that. Uh, how about, let's go to Jake Arrieta. Four years, uh, he's 32. Four years, $100 million. $25 million a year. I'm also a no on this one. I'm not convinced he's the Arietta we saw in 2015 when he posted a microscopic ERA and won the NL Cy Young. I think he's just taking a little step back, and that little step back to me, not looking to commit $25 million a year. Where is he at health-wise, too? Because I, I know he's had some he missed, problems. Yeah, he missed some time. I want to say it was it wasn't like, like an elbow. I was right. going to say hamstring yeah. or something right. well, late last season. So no big deal. Really. No, no, I I would not do that one. I, yeah, he's uh, he's regressed as well. I if you were getting the guy from a couple of years ago, I'd go six hundred sixty for that guy. Yeah. And, but then like now you'd be stuck two years into it and you you'd be overpaying. So I'm going to say no on that because and I'll leave this one off. Lance Lynn four years. $56 million now, according to MLB traders. They've kind of tweaked these. And or Alex Cobb, four years, 48. So in that four-year, $50 million range, I'm a yes on Lance Lynn. I'm a maybe on Alex Cobb. Really? 
I think Lance Lynn's a better pitcher than Alex Cobb. I disagree with you. But it's kind of splitting hairs. Yeah. I think they're both very good, and they would upgrade your rotation. So I'm a yes on Alex Cobb, maybe on Lance Lynn. And if they're the same term, year's fine. I, I actually have really started to take a liking to Alex Cobb this winter. The more I've dug in his story and his surgery and his recovery from that, the fact that he's basically a new pitcher now, he's adapted to what his arm and elbow will allow him to do and still found success, I think that's a really encouraging sign from Alex Cobb. And frankly, I think you'd slot him in as sort of that like number two guy in the Irvin Santana role. So maybe you know, optimistically projecting, if you sign a guy like Cobb, Jose Barrios is your opening day starter, or right. for all intents and purposes, your ace by the end of the season. Right, and then you've got Cobb two, Santana three. That's a that's an interesting way to start a major league rotation. And one thing to add here on those guys, they both missed at least a full season because of an injury, well, and they yep. both had their one full season back last year, so yep. they're discounted based on a recent injury. Some of these guys you might be paying a lot for, like an Arietta or a U Darvish. Those guys are full price with an injury maybe on the horizon. You know why are, are you more Lance Linfield? Let's talk more about that when we come back. We're up against the clock. We'll do. We'll, we'll keep playing this game. The free agent, would you or would you not game? Derek Wetmore is with us from uh, as Judd laughs like a twelve year old at that line from the Touch 'Em All uh, Twins podcast. Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. A lot of people consider that the second greatest radio team in Minnesota history. Mackey and Judd. Behind <laughs> Joe and Pat. <laughs> <laughs> On 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd. It's hot stove season. Twins. GM meetings going on. A lot of rumors. Uh, Rice Iglesias is the closer for... The Reds, we can get into that rumor here. we got a few minutes left. Let's let's keep this game alive here, though. The MLBTradeRumors.com. Here are the players. Here are the projected dollar figures in free agency. Are you in or are you out if you're running the Twins? And, and Judd, you asked about uh, Lance Lynn versus Alex Cobb. Yeah, I said, why do you like Lance Lynn a so little bit more? They're both very similar in that they were both like kind of number two, number three starters for uh, for respectable organizations, Rays, and uh, and Alex uh, Alex Cobb raised and Lance Lynn with the uh, Cardinals. They're both thirty years old. They both missed a full season, either a year or two years ago, with arm injuries. And um, they both had nice bounce back seasons. And they're both going to make about the same amount of money probably in free agency. Mm-hmm. I'm splitting hairs here. I would be fine with either one of these guys in a Twins uniform. Lance Lynn misses more bats, higher swinging strike rate, at least the last couple seasons. But it's tough to go back before the surgery and and find out. And Lance Lynn's home run rate spiked more than double what it was before the injury. I think that comes back to earth. Okay. I don't think, I, I think the reason why some of his numbers were a little higher, like ERA was higher than normal, uh, his fielding independent pitching, some of the peripheral things, his home run rate absolutely spiked. And I just don't think that's representative of who he's going to be when he settles back in two years removed from surgery. But again, like if the Twins signed Alex Cobb, I. Right. Barring it being a seven-year contract or something ludicrous, mm-hmm. um, I would praise them. So, Derek, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't actually think it's splitting hairs. We don't agree on this. I think Cobb is just demonstrably a better pitcher than Lance Lynn the last couple of years. And to your point on surgery, I think that it's dangerous for us to look back at either guy, what he was before he went under the knife. Because once you get the surgery, you're just you're different. You You either have a different arsenal or you don't get back the same velocity in some cases you do in some cases it's better but to compare stats for you know pre-surgery and post-surgery I think it's way more informative to figure out who they were after they came back from the surgery and I think Alex Cobb was a better pitcher um 
I think that they tried to be kind of the same guy, strike out league average rate, whatever, and then get some ground balls. I just think Cobb accomplishes that better. If they're for a similar price tag, I take him 10 times out of 10, but that's the that's the uh, elephant in the room here. We're just talking about MLB trade rumor projections. We have no idea what the final contract's actually right. going to look like. All right, what about Wade Davis? Four years, $60 million. Wade Davis is 32 years old. In a heartbeat. I would sign Wade Davis for four years and $60 million. I think he's going to command more than that on the open market this year. He'll be 32, I think, this spring, I want to say. And he's been basically that lights-out end-of-the-bullpen closer for years now. And we've seen the past couple of seasons... World Series winners rely on that kind of pitcher. I, I think he makes your whole bullpen better. I think he makes you a legitimate force in October. Mm-hmm. I think both of those things are something the Twins should be looking for. So if it's really only 4-60, and 60, I'm in. Can I, I get the list of potential closers that, that you were going to give out? Sure, so I'll, give you, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a couple options here. All so right. uh, Wade Davis, for, and for the record, I'm in for $60 million over four years. I'm in on Wade Davis. Yep. The age makes me hesitate a little bit, but you're going to get for sure, two lights-out seasons, I think, from him. And it's worth noting, since converting to back end of the bullpen uh, from a a kind of a failed starter with Kansas City, the last four years, a 1.45 earned run average and 12 strikeouts per nine. Just a complete dominant lights-out reliever. He's in the same conversation as guys like Kenley Jansen and Aroldis Chapman. There aren't very many of those guys in baseball. Yep. Uh, Greg Holland... Who had a bounce back year after Tommy John surgery? Had one really bad month in the second half. Colorado of, last year, right? Yep. Yeah, because he did four years, a fifty million dollars projected. All right. And let me see. I'll I'll throw you a little. Uh, I'll throw you like an Addison Reed, four years, thirty six million dollars. Someone in that range. I. You know what? I would actually, if I am going to uh, spend a lot and pursue two guys, I I would be much more tempted to go Davis and Reed as my pursuits, both of them, than a starter. Than a starter. Yes. Yes. Would you, Derek, would you go? Would you load up? Let's say you get to spend on two pitchers, and let's just take you Darvish off the board. Sure. So, so, so two pit, uh, you Darvish and Jake Arrieta off the board. So we're talking like okay. Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn, Wade Davis, Greg Holland, and then the Addison Reeds. There's okay. like five of them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian Shaw. Would you go two relievers? Would you go starter, starter, reliever? Well, I guess like you have to go reliever with one of them. Yeah, I'd go starter, reliever if I'm the Twins, and there's two reasons. One. It just it makes some financial sense that if you're out of the bidding of a guy like Darvish and Arietta, you can afford that next tier. So go after it. And then I also think contenders know they have to spend on a bullpen. Like you're not just going to get lucky every year and have eight relievers who cost you five hundred thousand dollars and are just having career years. It's an awesome scenario if that happens, but right. it's pretty rare. All the contenders know that you probably have to spend on top-end bullpen. So if you're giving me a choice of two guys, that's, like, reasonable. I would go for Wade Davis and Alex Cobb, and I think the Twins could actually get that done. I think if they were to walk away this winter with Alex Cobb and Wade Davis for, like, $100 million on combined on multi-year deals— that would be a standing ovation offseason yeah. for the Twins. Four years apiece. A playoff the... rotation starter and a lights-out back-of-the-bullpen yeah. guy. Like, that would be standing ovation, best offseason in Twins history. Yeah, I think just because Not of where they are. Not that there's much competition for well, that, Just but. because of where they are. <laughs> yeah. They're now on the cusp, on the this sort of upswing. and I The think precipice, you, as we like to say. Yeah, the precipice of contention. The mm-hmm. precipice of World Series consideration. Yeah, legitimate playoff. So go ahead and spend. Run. Now, you, you know, last winter, I didn't blame them at all. Let it play out. Let's see how this thing goes. I I told you guys 2017 was a learning year. 
Well, in 2017, you learned that your young core of position players is ready to go. So now you go supplement it. Now I think you have to be aggressive. And if you're, you're the twins. and if you're a Twins fan, this is great because this is the opportunity now for the first time to see what these guys are going to yep. do. Yep. And they very well could spend. And and we get to keep using the word precipice. Every time That's I come really on the, your guys' show, benefit, we're going to gonna say yeah. precipice. The Vikings are point. on the precipice of Super Bowl contention. Yeah, you're right. Are they on the precipice? Uh, we're on the precipice of recording another Touch em All podcast sometime That's in right. the next couple of days. So if you haven't subscribed to that or checked it out, you can find it on the new 1500 ESPN app. 